And uh, I just want to begin our time in the Word this morning by making an announcement. And the announcement is, is this, that, uh, God's, uh, that we are who God says we are, that we have what God says we have, and we can do what God says we can do. I tell you, that's bottom line. Sometimes we feel this way, we feel that way, we feel another way, but we always have to, have to come back and uh, say what God says about us. And that uh, somehow lifts us into a place of victory. And because we've been speaking about victory in a, a victory culture in regards to who we are and, uh, and where we're going for some weeks now, and I trust that by now you've uh, laid a hold of, uh, of some things that had previously been a part of your life. For others of you, some things have been refreshed, and, uh, and you're just much more aggressive now in this area that, uh, you know, we've said that faith is not passive. Faith is aggressive. It reaches out and lays a hold of some things, and that's what the preaching of the Word is all about. And so we want to begin again this morning. Um, and in fact, I want to start by reading again these passages of Scripture that have become our key verses, if you like, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Um, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, stand strong. Do not let anything move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. In fact, haven't we just been speaking about that? Giving ourselves to the work of the Lord, getting involved. It says, because you know that your work in the Lord is never wasted. First John chapter 5, verse 1. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How many of you are born of God and you know it? That you're born again? Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Well, it says everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. To overcome, to overcome means having victory. That's what that means. He says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So we overcome by faith, through faith. That's why we talk about faith. That's why we, we major on that. Faith is a major theme throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end. And uh, there's things we can do to become stronger in faith. And there's other things that we can do where we could become weaker in faith. And uh, that's not the direction that we want to be going. We want to go into the, into the direction of becoming stronger in faith. And so we've said that it is God. God's will and intention for every believer to uh, live a life of victory. And of course, we've said that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood to make that possible for us. Jesus Christ has not offered us or given us an inferior salvation. He's given us a superior salvation. Book of Hebrews tells us that we have a better covenant established on better promises than what they had in the Old Testament. And I must say, some of the stuff in the Old Testament looks pretty good. That God absolutely provided their need uh, miraculously. There are some of these people, you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you look at their prosperity, and that was all part under the old covenant, but God's saying we have a better covenant established on better promises. And last week we spoke about uh, the confession of the Word of God, and we said that the confession sets the direction for where we're headed. And if you're headed in the wrong direction, just begin to change the words that you speak. Uh, and don't just speak any old word, but look in the Word of God and find out who God says you are and begin to speak that. Uh, begin to speak what God says you have and begin to speak what God says you can do. It will change the direction of your life. Today I want to uh, talk about uh, uh, how we we can draw victory from our own well of salvation. Everybody say, well of salvation. All right. Now, um, uh, the concept of a well or of wells is listed 
throughout the whole Bible, all the way back from, uh, from the beginning, uh, right through the, the Bible and towards the Gospels there and so forth. And uh, when we speak of a well, a lot of people uh, really can't picture a well too well because we've got running water in our houses these days and we just turn on the tap and we give no thought for where this water comes from. In Bible days, particularly in the Middle East, uh, uh, which can be quite a dry sort of an area, uh, wells were absolutely important. They were, they were uh, life-giving. If there wasn't a well, uh, you know, you couldn't live there. In fact, I watched a, uh, a nature program, one of those national geographics program, where these people, these nomads, headed uh, three, four days into the desert, and I'm talking St. Junes, and uh, they somehow had worked out uh, how to how to figure out directions by going from one St. June to another, and they aimed for a well. And uh, the fact that uh, they headed into the desert this long and this far, they'd used up all their own supplies, and... Uh, the thought was that if they miss that well and not find it, they will absolutely die in the wilderness. And uh, so somehow they found it. And of course, if they had missed it, there would not have been enough water and resources to back out again and to, to get back to the well where they started out. And you know, wells are important. I remember when I grew up as a, as a little guy, when I was not as big and huge as what I am today, um, and, uh, and uh, we had a well. Uh, we didn't have running water in the house. And I know that makes me sound ancient, but I'm not that old, I assure you. And, uh, and I remember, in fact, we had two wells. Uh, the, my family home, where I grew up, is situated in a valley. Uh, there's a creek that runs through that. Uh, and then there's a steep hill over against the front of the house, some 80, 100 meters away. And into the side of that hill, there was a well that had been dug out. And uh, my parents used to uh, get down there with a couple of buckets and bring water into the house. I can barely remember it. Uh, I remember sometime after that, and that was I was well below 10 years of age, might have been, I don't know, five, six, seven. Then my father began to uh, uh, locate a, uh, a spring further up on the other side of the hill, and uh, some digging took place. And I'm talking digging by hand. <laughs> there weren't any of those machines as easily available back then, and, uh, and, and digging a, a water pipeline. And of course, today, and we've had for many years running water in the house. But wells are important. We had another well on the other side of the house that was typically used for for watering the cattle that we had and uh, it's interesting when I compare those two wells uh, my brother and I we used to hoon around on the farm quite a bit uh, when we didn't work we were just running around getting into mischief or one thing or other and uh, we used to lift those planks that were over that second well that we had and there was frogs jumping around in there and everything and we weren't too concerned because that was the well for the cattle but our own well the one that we used for our family we absolutely looked after that after that thing it was very very important now with that thought in mind I want to read to you from uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 through to verse 6. And there it says, Therefore, with joy, you will draw towards her from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His deed amongst the peoples, make mention um, that His name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known uh, in all the earth, Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Book of Isaiah speaks about 
a well of salvation. If we don't know what a well is, we will not understand what a well of salvation is. The Bible once again uses a picture of a natural thing to convey to us a spiritual truth. And Isaiah foresaw the day when people was going to be born again. And he says, in that day, he says, you will shout for joy. And in that day, he says, with joy will you draw water from the well of salvation. And friend, if you and I can understand this concept and build it into our understanding of being born again and, uh, and, uh, and uh, having all things that we would ever need available to us, we will know where to go because the well of salvation is absolutely the place that God uses to provide all sorts of things for us. If we miss that concept, we're forever looking outside. and Where is it? Where is it? And all the time it is within. He says, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. In the contemporary English version, it says, with great joy, you people will get water from the well of victory. Hello? The well of victory. Isn't that interesting? So the well of salvation is also called the well of victory. And my friend, if you're looking for victory outside of yourself and beyond over there or over there, you're going to completely miss the point because your own well of salvation, if you're born again, is actually your well of victory. And so the word you there is spoken of in the plural form, meaning that he says when he says you will draw water, it's not just you singular. He says it's you collectively, or as we sometimes say, use. You know, use. <laughs> collectively. He says, use will draw water from the well of salvation. So that means that everybody, everybody can draw water of joy from the well of salvation. To me, joy and victory is connected together. When I lose my joy, my victory goes out the window. When I recapture my joy, victory is back again. All right? And we can learn to draw joy or the water of joy from the well of salvation. Now, I'm stating the obvious here, my friend, but there is no greater joy than anybody can experience and no joy that is more lasting than the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, that we are born again, that we are part of the family of God, that He's our personal Lord and Savior. We know that joy comes from various other things like going out shopping and buying something new, bringing it home and unpacking. It's pretty exciting. But I've noticed that that excitement wears off. The novelty goes away. And then, you know, people need to go and buy some more. And there are people who are called shopaholics because they, they like the thrill of this thing. They're always looking outside of themselves. And there's nothing wrong with shopping, by the way. But just don't buy anything that you can't afford. Uh, as in that just, just you know, just uh, don't put stuff on, 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 on the credit card and then you can't pay the credit card off. You know, don't do that. But if you've got money and you want to buy things, just make sure you pay. Priorities are right. Okay? And so, and so there, is a, there is a joy on the inside of us that we can tap into at any moment. We don't need anybody else particularly, though it helps when other people are around. Uh, like in a time of praise and worship, we've been singing this morning. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus is Lord, that we are born again, and we get pretty excited after that. Um, and that's what we mean. We draw, we're reaching into our spirit. We're reaching into our well of salvation, and we draw the water of joy. And we might not have felt too good when we came in, but suddenly we start feeling good. And in fact, I was feeling good in the prayer meeting this morning, like something like just stirred up in my spirit and I'm still feeling good right now. 
Psalm 51 verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. This is a psalm of uh, David the psalmist, David the king, David the shepherd boy. And at that stage he was king already. And we know the story there. David had gotten himself into trouble. He committed adultery, and to cover up his sin, he had the husband of the man of the woman that he slept with, that he wasn't married to, had him killed. His name was Uriah, and he thought he got away with it. But how do you know that God knows everything, and we can't pull the wool over God's eyes? You know, we might be able to fool each other a little bit, but we can't fool God. And so anyway, the prophet called Nathan came to David, and he basically bailed him up against the wall. He says, David, you are in trouble. Well, David did the right thing. He humbled himself. He cried out to God. Rather than running away from God, he ran to God. And that's one thing we see in the life of David. You know, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Despite all of his failings, God God says, this is a man after my own heart because, because uh, he runs towards me when he's got problems and troubles. And when he's failed, he comes to me rather than running away from me. And that's just one of the thoughts there as to why I believe God calls him a man after his own heart. So anyway, David pours out his heart before the Lord and he recognizes recognizes this is against you against you only have I sinned he said and 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 then he says cleanse me and he goes through this whole prayer here in the here in Psalm 51 and then he says restore to me the joy of my salvation Obviously, he'd lost the joy of his salvation, but he says, restore it to me again. He says, I want to be able to once again reach into my heart and, and pull out joy uh, that comes from knowing that I'm okay with God, that, uh, that God's for me, that, that, that we're on talking terms, and, and that, that God's not, not angry, and, and, and that I eventually can uh, spend eternity with God in heaven. You know, it's interesting, but uh, uh, so evidently, uh, he says, if he, if he says, restore to me the joy of, of your salvation, it must be possible to lose the joy of salvation. It must be possible to just, for this thing to wane. And I'm suggesting to you today that if joy has waned in the life of a Christian, it could be that the well of salvation has either been neglected, and it is possible to do that, or it has otherwise been blocked up somehow, and, uh, and it's not flowing anymore. And with that thought, I want to go into the book of uh, Genesis chapter 26. And on, on our way there, let me remind us of a passage of Scripture in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, where it talks about that it is, in fact, it warns us against and cautions us against neglecting our salvation. All right? We can neglect, he says, do not neglect so great a, a salvation. In other words, make big of it. Don't make small of it. It's a great salvation. And, uh, and you know, that's why I love praise and worship. That's why we time of music and, and we are making great of our salvation. We, we love on Jesus and, and we tell him that, that we know that we are saved and, 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 and everything that's involved in that. And we lift him up in our lives because we can't save ourselves. We can only get saved through Jesus Christ. And people who neglect their salvation or somehow allow themselves, in fact, Hebrews chapter 2, we won't go there for, for time's sake, but it talks there about, it says, not allowing yourself to drift from this thing. Uh, and here is the writer of the book of Hebrews, which could have been Paul the Apostle, but I'm not sure. He says he's speaking to these guys, and these guys were drifting away from their salvation, going back into Judaism again, going back into their old religion, going back into their old culture, because they were more comfortable with that. And... Uh, you know, culture is a good thing. Culture is a good thing so long as it lines up with the Word of God. 
In fact, God showed me a picture there. Uh, I've done, uh, uh, when I first came to New Zealand, I was uh, down in the South Island for the early part and got to see this beautiful, magnificent countryside and everything. And I was down in Milford Sound uh, working in the hotel there for a while. And we used to go out, uh, drive around, do a bit of hunting and everything. And there's one place there, some of you might know it, it's called the Hollyford Valley. And there's a valley uh, that runs uh, out towards the sea, and there's a road that goes down uh, through it. Uh, it's in, in places, it's only a one-lane road. Uh, and what happens is that there's a river that runs straight through it, uh, and the road keeps on crossing uh, the river, and there's one bridge after another one, and one bridge after another one. How many of you have been there? Hollyford Valley? Some of you might. Okay, some of you have. It's a beautiful area, lovely country. And I saw a picture there. God says, my, that river there is like the truth of my word. And, and he says, it's kingdom culture. He says, that river is pretty straight. But our culture tends to do what that road did. It, it, it intersects uh, truth and parts of our culture are brilliant, but then it goes off some in a ditch and then it comes back again and then it crosses over again. And, and so it is. And, and the idea is that we straighten our culture, our culture that we're used to, our, what, our upbringing that we had. Uh, and I'm, culture could be any culture. It could be Pakia culture, Maori culture, Samoan culture, Asian culture, China, any culture. The idea is to straighten that thing up with the truth of God's word and to forsake our cultural norms and to embrace kingdom culture. Because that's where the blessing is. That's where the joy is. That's where the victory is. Some people are forever down, and, and part of it is wrong cultural norms. And, uh, and we need to forsake these things and come into kingdom culture. Praise God. And so, Genesis chapter uh, 26, verse 15. Uh, it speaks there about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're in Palestine and the land that God had given to them. And he says the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. So we're still speaking about wells. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which uh, they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up uh, after the death of Abraham, and he also restored the names that Abraham had given them. So here is Isaac, um, Jacob, um, should I say Isaac, of course, is Abraham's father. Abraham is now moved on. Abraham had uh, crisscrossed that land, got it around the wrong way. Uh, Isaac is Abraham's son. Thank you. I got my prompt sitting in the front row that helps me <laughs> preach. And uh, in fact, it's good if you help me preach as well. If I'm saying something that you agree with, why don't you shout amen or something? It'll help me, okay? <laughs> and so anyway, so here's Isaac. And, uh, and his father Abraham had crisscrossed that land and basically put his foot on it. And God had said to him, uh, wherever the, f the, f the soles of your feet step, he says, that is your land. So he stepped throughout the whole area there and claimed it for the glory of God and claimed it for himself and claimed it for the kingdom of God, for the people of God. He had dug well in different places, but they had people in those days called the Philistines. And the Philistines would just uh, try to come in and try to somehow subdue God's people, Abraham, and later on Isaac, and then following on from there, Jacob. And 
and, and then Jacob's 12 sons, which became the Jewish race and, and, and so forth. And, uh, and they came in and, and because uh, uh, wells were so life-giving and so necessary to life, they came in and filled up those wells through dirt in there. Not uncommon. It still happens to this day in places where they, you know, where they have wells. Have you remember that conflict that was taking place in East Timor? The East Timorese wanted to have independence. They wanted to break away from, from uh, um, Indonesia, which is, by the way, the largest Muslim nation uh, in the world. And uh, the, the East Timorese are typically Christian people. Catholic at that, but still Christian people. And so these people then tried to fight for their own independence. And so these other rascals came in and filled up with all of their wells, killed people and threw the bodies into the wells to mess up their their their... their their source of water, and so it still happens today. And so back then, the Philistines came to fill up the uh, the wells that uh, Abraham had dug, uh, that were passed on to to Isaac, and Isaac just redug those wells. He says, "Boys, let's clean it out again. Let's redig it again." In fact, I'm having a thought here. We've been talking about aspects of word of faith in the last few weeks and in the few months, and some of the people that we look to in terms of uh, what we might call fathers in the faith, the be that the Kenneth Copelands, be that the Kenneth Hagans, be that the Frey Prices, and be that the Charles Caps and and uh, Jerry Savell and and some of these people that we look up. To who've absolutely blazed the trail in terms of faith. We are redigging some of those wells. That's what we're doing. We're digging some of those wells again because God had started a move called that whole thing of word of faith, a revelation that I believe every believer has to capture and incorporate those truths into their lives. And so, so he started to redig those wells again. And then, uh, and then, uh, he says the Philistines had stopped some of those wells after the death of Abraham, and he also restored the names that I, Abraham had given to those wells. I had an interesting thought. Uh, um, if we're talking about the well of salvation, because for, for them they were physical wells, and Abraham had called them certain names, the Philistines came in and renamed them and then filled them up just to confuse the matter. But you know, uh, it is important that we call the well of salvation for what it is. It is a well of salvation. It is a well of joy. Sometimes Christians get into an area of getting slightly confused and they say, oh, that Christian life is very hard. Don't call the well of salvation a well of hardship. The Bible says the way of the sinner is hard. But we are the blessed people. We have got every reason to be blessed and happy and joyful. Let's not confuse things and let's name uh, what the well of salvation, what the Bible calls it rather than the well of hardship. And, oh, this is so hard. It's not hard. Okay, it's not hard. Let's not get away from the simplicity of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He's good. The devil is bad. God's delivered us from the power of darkness. We're in the kingdom of God's dear son. Let's get everything straightened out. Okay. So anyway, that was just a, just a thought there. So the Philistines were these, uh, these uh, nasty antagonistic people that tried to subdue the people of God and hinder their progress, bring them into bondage. Now, uh, there is, of course, an argument whether these people are still around today or not, but uh, they are present-day Philistines, uh, and we've all got them in our lives. Uh, they're all hanging around. Uh, they're all hanging around us. One of those could be called busyness. I tell you, busyness will hinder our progress in God if we allow it to get on us to such an extent that we muddle up our priorities. Uh, it's good to be busy, by the way, 
<laughs> Personally, it's, it's good to be busy. I think it's good to be productive and so forth. But there are, there are priorities that we need to set. And busyness could be one of those Philistines when people are forever busy with things that they shouldn't be busy with, got no time for God, got no time to serve God because they are busy. That's a Philistine. And we need to slay that Philistine and get him out of our lives. Wrong priorities, before you talked about that. Uh, that the wrong priority, uh, just one or two will mess up everything else. I've uh, sometimes used this example of, uh, you know, for ourselves, uh, typically blokes, if we're wearing a shirt and ladies with blouses, uh, get up in the morning, put on that shirt and everything. And I've discovered that if I get the first button into the right buttonhole, the rest is easy. I tell you, it's just easy. Everything else just falls into place. I get one of them wrong, every other one will be wrong. And so it is with our priorities. If we, if we don't put God first and don't put church uh, ahead of other things, and, and I'm not talking about people that are locked into a work uh, schedule where Sunday work is part of their part of their thing, you know, it's just one of these things. And we're always believing God and trusting God that people get a breakthrough, but don't be condemned. But if you're off on a Sunday and you're down on the lake, you're buzzing around somewhere else and you've got no time for church, then your priorities are all messed up. And that's a Philistine that needs to be slayed. Um, slayed? Slain. Thank you. Slain. We need to be correct with these things. Uh, we don't have to be politically correct, but we have to be grammatically correct. And so that's a Philistine that has to be slaughtered <laughs> and dealt to. Excessive times pursuing non-kingdom activities. God's all for hobbies, and God wants us to enjoy ourselves, enjoy the good things in life and everything. God is absolutely fine with that. But again, it comes back to priorities. We're spending too much time on certain things, and then not having time for the real important things. That's a Philistine. And you know, all of these things have the potential to stop up people's well of salvation. It's like dirt uh, is in that well of salvation and therefore they try to reach in there. It's either blocked up, it's got stuff in it that it shouldn't have and they can't draw that joy from it. I tell you what, uh, uh, I can't recall ever for any enemy people to come to my parents' house to try to mess up our, our well that we drew water from. I would have been too little to do anything about it. Um, but I tell you what, my father would have absolutely stood up and defended that well uh, <laughs> because that's where the family got the water from. And so it is, my friend. You and I, we need to absolutely defend our well. It, it needs to be cared for. It requires constant care and it requires maintenance. And in terms of our faith, it requires constant feeding so that we can get stronger in faith and, uh, and are able to not only reach in there to pull up joy for ourselves, but we're able to help other people come into a place of victory as well. I don't know if this is helping you, but this has helped me. <laughs> this has really helped me. All right. And so we are all responsible for our own well. Say, so I'm responsible for my own well. All right, and we absolutely are. That's why I've made up my mind uh, in terms of my Christian walk that offense will not be a part of my life. I will not be offended with people. And if I get tempted and if I get out of sorts, I'll quickly sort it out because offense will mess up my well of salvation. It'll absolutely pollute the thing. And then I try to reach in there and then rather than pulling out joy, I'm pulling out more offense. I just won't let it get in there. <laughs> you know, like I said before, that, uh, that other well that we had on the other side of the house, on that other hill, my brother and I, there were planks already and occasionally lift the planks, you know, there were frogs in there and, and everything. That would not have been allowed at the other end, uh, at the well where we got our drinking water from. So don't let the frog of, of uh, offense get into your spirit. If somebody has hurt you and harmed you, forgive them and get that thing out of your life. And there's various other things that we could let in there. Do not let 
Somebody else fill your well of salvation with dirt. When somebody comes to me criticizing somebody else, gossiping, I say, no, thank you. I have no time for that. Do not try to fill my well of salvation with your dirt. I've sort of learned uh, f- f- phrases over the years that, uh, because it's not about being rude to people. I say, look, do I need to know that? Is, is this important that I know that? That sort of slows them down a bit. And if that doesn't slow them down, you say, look, I, I'd rather not know. Thank you. Why? Because I need to protect my role of salvation. I need to protect my heart, my spirit. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, and I think we were there last week. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 22, 23, verse 24. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And life in the natural uh, is absolutely derived from the wells that they had in, in the Middle East there, in that area there. And without that, those wells, they could not have lived. And without the well of salvation, we can't go to heaven. So let's protect this thing. Let's care for it. Let's move on in John chapter 4. Verse 3 and on from there through to verse 14. It says that Jesus left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground where Jacob gave to his son uh, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. It's interesting. Somebody had a vision this morning in our prayer meeting uh, in terms of, uh, of Jacob's well. And Jesus sat there. Uh, there's a whole concept in there that's like bears sort of looking at that and saying, okay, well, God, what are you saying here? But, you know, uh, Jacob, um, Jacob, um, Jacob's uh, father, in fact, Jacob, <laughs> let me get it right, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob uh, had that well, and he bought that well with a hundred pieces of uh, silver, a hundred shekels of whatever it was. And actually, he ended up passing that on to to Joseph, his son, and to Joseph's descendants. Um, and the story is this: that uh, that uh, Jesus sat at the well, that well right there that John chapter four speaks about. It's called Jacob's well that Jacob ended up giving to his son. And as a result of that discussion, as a result of that that scenario there, revival broke out in the city, and it started with a hundred pieces of silver. Imagine that. Imagine that that buying something can become the trigger point for something else to happen, and out of that flows revival through your family, through your neighborhood, through your whole city, and through the whole nation. It's amazing. We have never thought of it that way, really. But I tell you what, money and, and, and sometimes following God's leading is very, very important. It could trigger off something very powerful, and that's exactly what happened here. So anyway, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from the journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about, I don't know, midday, three o'clock in the afternoon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Therefore the woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Do you know that you thought that racism was an issue that only for present day? They had racism back then already. And Jesus answered and he said to her, in fact, Jesus did not uh, go by these cultural norms. Uh, he absolutely overwrote them. It was a, pretty much a no-no for a man to speak to a woman he didn't know in public. It just didn't happen. That was a cultural norm. Jesus absolutely booted that thing out the way and he involved this woman with a discussion. And sometimes breaking through cultural norms can absolutely trigger off revival. And that's exactly what happened here. Amazing. That was just a, a thought. Uh, um, 
And so he says, if you, he says, knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Uh, where then do you get that living water? Are you not greater, uh, rather, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and he said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, for the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. So you can see how the message of the wells through the Bible, back from Genesis, when Abraham dug wells, uh, Isaac uh, reduct those wells. Jacob uh, uh, had one of those wells and passed it on to his son. And Jesus sitting by that same well and he's making refer reference again to salvation. In the, in the message translation in verse 14, it says, The water that I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. You see, eternal life is on the inside of us. It's not outside of us. Salvation is on the inside of us. It's not outside of us. Of course, it is in God. And without God, there is no salvation. And without God, there is no proper real joy and any lasting joy. It is all on the inside. Where is it? It is from our innermost being. In the Amplified Translation, it says, But the water that I give him shall become a spring of water, welling up, flowing and bubbling continually within him, unto or into or for eternal life. What's Jesus speaking about? Well, sitting by a physical well, and he's talking to this woman about the well of salvation. He uses that correlation between a natural thing to convey to her a spiritual truth. And as so many people did back then and still do to this day, uh, we use an example like this, and they interpret everything from a natural level. Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again, speaking to him spiritually. And uh, Nicodemus interprets it from a natural level. says, how can a man be born again when he's grown up and old? How can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus wasn't talking about the natural birth. He's talking about the spiritual birth. Here Jesus is talking to this woman about the, the well of salvation, which is within us, within people who are born again. And she says, sir, the well is deep and you haven't got a rope and you haven't got a bucket. How are you going to get water out of there? <laughs> We can make the same mistake today. Jesus is trying to get to, across to us a spiritual truth, and we're locked into our mind. We're locked into our natural thinking. The Bible says that spiritual things are discerned spiritually. Eternal life, that's an interesting word. It bears, um, it bears us studying it and understanding what that is. The Greek word for life here is zoe. There's another Greek word for life called bios. Uh, from that word, we get biology, and bios refers to the natural length of life and to, to biology and animal life and what have you. But, but, but Jesus, when he talked about life, he didn't talk about bios, he talked about zoe. Now, zoe uh, comes, is, is the Greek word for, for life, and, and it speaks about the absolute fullness of life. Where is it? It's in our spirit. It's in our world of salvation. That's where God put it. All right. It speaks of life as God has it. 
How many know there's a difference between life as God has it and, and life as a, a dog or a, or a cattle or something has it? Or how many know that there's a difference? So he says, uh, he says, if you drink from the water that I will give you, he says, it will spring up on the inside of you into a well of uh, spring up into eternal life. And that word life there is that Zoe speaks of the God kind of life or, or life absolute or life intense. Where is it? It's in our spirit. It's in our well of salvation. That's where it is. And so, friends, let's, get, let's not get confused and start look for life and for fun and for joy outside of ourselves. It is on the inside of us. Everything that's outside of ourselves is in the natural. It's temporary. It's short-lived. It might be all right, and God wants us to enjoy life. Don't get me wrong. God wants us to have nice things. God wants us to be able to buy new things, eat nice food, and not too much of it. It's all good. It's all good. But real joy comes from within. Real victory comes from the inside of us. We draw it out from the well of victory, from the well of salvation. Um, Pastor Bob Yandian is going to be our speaker for ICFM next year. Uh, he pastors a church in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Vanessa and I have had the privilege of visiting there. We met him again earlier on this year. He's one of the trustees of ICFM, and he's coming to the International Convention of Faith Ministries Conference held at our church here next year. Now, I tell you, <laughs> he's one premium speaker. He's one premium speaker. Well, um, I have personally drawn from that, that man's ministry for years and years now through his writings, uh, in particular, some of his recordings, video, and so forth. And, uh, and he makes a quote here in regards to what we are talking about as far as Zoe is concerned, as far as God's life on the inside of us is concerned. He says, the Christian life can be summed up as the process of working to the outside what exists on the inside. We should exhibit peace since we have the fruit of the Spirit on the inside. We should be overcomers since we have the greater one dwelling within us. We should live prosperous, full lives since we have been recreated with the Zoe life of God in us. All right? So it's all in us. We just have to learn on how to bring it out. And, and, and of course, feeding our faith on, on God's Word and, and, and making sure that our relationship with Jesus is, is humming and, and that, we, we, you know, that we, we are intimate with Jesus and, and, and so forth. And then the confession of God's Word releases faith in our lives and will absolutely lift us to a new level to where we are before we started. Uh, so the progression there, and we need to understand the progression. The pro progression is from the inside to the outside. It's from the unseen realm to the seen realm. It's from the place of knowing to the place of feeling and experiencing. <laughs> okay? It's from the pages of the Bible to becoming reality in our lives. You are well of salvation. My well of salvation is absolutely the place that God uses to bring forth all of the things that Jesus Christ has purchased for us on the cross beyond, beyond just going to heaven. All right? Healing is in our spirit. Victory is in our spirit. Miracles are in our spirit. Um, not only that, but, uh, you know, in fact, we could branch off in all directions. Uh, many of you have heard of... Uh, 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 Pastor Paul Yongicho or David Yongicho, as he's now called, uh, pastor of the largest church in, in the world today in uh, Seoul, Korea. Um, he talks about faith. He talks about, uh, 
He talks about believing God for different things. And he talked about in the early days when he got started, uh, back in the, in the 40s or 50s, whenever it was, and he says they were so poor in Korea, they didn't have enough food to eat. And he was this young evangelist, and he wanted to be like Billy Graham, he says, and he wanted to preach the gospel and get people saved. And, uh, and he says uh, he didn't have any shoes, so he believed God for a pair of shoes. And, and he had no transportation, so he believed God for a bicycle so he could drive around and, uh, and you know, pr- go from village to village to preach the gospel to be like Billy Graham, he said. And, uh, and Yongi Cho speaks to us about praying and, and faith rising in his heart. And he says, he says he became pregnant with a bicycle. He says, I got a bicycle in my spirit. I got a pair of shoes in my spirit. And he began to confess and he began to believe and he began to do all of that. And he says, next minute, these things came forth. But where did they come from? They came through his spirit, through his well of salvation. And so there's a whole concept there, my friend, that in terms of faith operating, it operates in our heart. That's why I said before, it doesn't operate in our head. It operates in our heart. It operates in the well of our salvation. Salvation is this most wonderful thing. Typically, people say, get saved and go to heaven. It's much, much more than that. It's much, much more than that. Absolutely, Jesus purchased entry for us into heaven, but it's much more than that. Uh, He's purchased for us the salvation that while we're on this earth, we can live saved lives and prosperous lives, healed lives and and victorious lives and everything. And in fact, uh, there's one Bible scholar, he's no longer with us today. Uh, His name is Schofield. How many of you know and remember the Schofield Reference Bible? Some of you would. You know, there's different study Bibles with study notes and everything, and one of those is the Schofield Study Bible. And I do know that Kenneth Hagen used to extensively quote from, uh, from the Schofield, uh, from Schofield's writing, just a very switched-on sort of a Bible uh, scholar and just, uh, just awesome. This is what uh, uh, Schofield has to say on the word salvation. Now, salvation, again, comes from the Greek word uh, soteria. Uh, or to be saved, which means zozo. I don't think the Greek words are important, but we need to understand the meanings in them because it spells out everything that is part of this package here. He says, salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel, gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes. It implies the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing and soundness, and so forth. My friend, with all of that stuff at our disposal belonging to us, it's not hard to have victory. It's all in there. All right? So where is it? It's in our spirit. We have to just draw it up. It's in our spirit. Jesus has placed it there at the point of our salvation. And friend, we lay hold of it by faith. Now I want to quickly swing over into John chapter 7, just to finish the teaching part, because I believe that God wants us to pray for some people here this morning. Uh, Jesus didn't finish there with his example of living water and well of salvation and so forth. He goes on to say in John chapter 7, verse 37, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now notice here, We're not just talking about a well. We're not just talking about a fountain bubbling up into everlasting life. We're now talking rivers, plural, rivers. All right? He says, out of his innermost being. Out of what? 
<laughs> out of his innermost being. It's from the inside, friend. That's where it is. It, out of his innermost being, out of his spirit, out of his well of salvation will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, i.e. Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now here's the summary of what we are talking about. John chapter 4, where Jesus speaks of the well of salvation, is for our own personal salvation, for our own personal victory. John chapter 7, Jesus is speaking about an additional experience called the baptism with the Holy Ghost, where we as believers get filled with the Holy Spirit, and now rivers are flowing. Now, we personally don't need a river, but other people do. And uh, rivers of living water help us uh, to help other people get saved and come into that place of victory to receive salvation for themselves and deliver life of victory themselves. Once called the indwelling, where the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of us from the point that we are born again. The other one is called the infilling, where the Holy Spirit does not just reside on the inside of us, but He wants to flow through us and, uh, and wants to flow into our environment, wants to flow into our workplace, into our workmates' lives, into our friends, into our family members, and so forth, flowing out from us so that others can catch this thing uh, that Jesus Christ is able to save their lives and usher them into a place of victory. And with that, I want to say this morning that if you're born again, it is absolutely fantastic. It's wonderful, it's necessary, and you will absolutely go to heaven. All right? But furthermore, God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is an additional experience. We call it uh, the baptism with the Holy Ghost. We call it the infilling with the Holy Spirit. We call it receiving Pentecost. It's all different terms because that's what happened to the early believers in Acts chapter 2 where on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly uh, turning from people that were fearful and, and, and tucked away and, and quietly suddenly they turned into bold people stepping out and preaching the gospel to others, and as a result of that, uh, that uh, uh, scenario, 3,000 people got saved, another four or 5,000 people got saved after that, and absolute revival was sparked off because God filled them to such an extent that rivers flew, uh, uh, flowed from them, and that's what God wants in each and every one of our lives. So the question is, well, what say if I'm not born again? Well, you need to get born again quickly then. You need to absolutely give your life to Jesus quickly. I don't know the scripture, it's not in the outline, but let me read that to you. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says, My people have done two things wrong. They have deserted me, even though I am the spring of water that gives life. See, I told you that theme of wells and, and water of life is all the way through the Bible. He says, he says, they have deserted me, even though I am the spring of water that gives life. And they've dug their own wells, but those wells are broken. They can't hold any water. And I'm thinking, wow, how profound is that? That sometimes people in their own mind build their own salvation. I've lived a good life, uh, so surely I, I, I go to heaven. Uh, people somehow build a well uh, in their own mind, just some concept or something that they keep on going to that well, but God says that well is broken. It's like a cracked water pot. It can't hold any water. God said, let me offer you the well of salvation. 